Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Back on a Wednesday, thanks to you guys for joining us. We're going to pick our playoff teams, Shahan, and I think at the conclusion of this podcast, I don't know, we'll just make an MP3 file and send it to the committee. Would that be helpful? Do you think, does it help them to know our playoff picks in March? We we are here to make college football better. You know, at the same time, I, I don't know if I want the committee having a lot of preconceived notions. I mm. feel like that's given them a lot of bad ideas, to be quite honest. Uh, but, you know, I think that will be well-reasoned. I think we'll think it through. But I will say, uh, so there are two teams out of my four that I feel, you know, pretty straightforward about. And then I don't know. I, I, I just, I'm just putting stuff out into the universe and we're going to see what happens. So I do think evolution of thinking is interesting. I do think to check in every now and then on a, on a playoff podcast about, Hey, who do you think is going to be in the playoff? If people think, why are these guys? Making playoff picks in the middle of spring football in March, the answer would be because it's a podcast about the college football playoff. If anybody should be doing it, it's us. So any other podcast that has other topics they talk about, if you have a podcast about, you know, your favorite flavor of barbecue sauce and college football, then you shouldn't be doing this in March. This is a playoff podcast. We don't have anything else to talk about. We have to talk about this. It's not our fault. Yes. And uh, and the other thing, too, right? Like, I mean, we're just opening spring camps. Like, it's good to get a check-in, right? It's good. We see the way-too-early stuff right after the title game happens. Now we're kind of getting into it, right? Like, we know what spring rosters are going to look like. We're going to have another check-in, I'm sure, after spring is done, after there's more transfers into the summer. We're going to have a check-in when we start fall camp. Uh, You know, but this is kind of like the first big moment because – you know, obviously not for fans, but uh, for writers, right? Like, I mean, when camp opens, this is kind of like football's back a little bit. And so, you know, no better time to kind of touch on this. And again, things are changing. We did a podcast last week about the 10 most interesting quarterback battles this spring. And after we put out the podcast, one of the battles at Florida, Emory Jones went in the transfer portal. So that yes. battle is kind of over. I guess Anthony yes. Richardson won it. We talked about it then. We said, hey, we don't think both these guys are going to be here at the end of spring. And Emory Jones was like, I'm not even going to be here in the middle of spring. I'm gone. Wow. You're, you're just dismissing your boy, Jack Miller, your, your Ohio state legend. His dad owns a hotel, which is very nice. So that I know his dad, his dad like doesn't own the hotel. His dad like runs the hotel in Arizona where some of the Fiesta Bowl teams stay. It's an interesting little side like. Oh, is it, uh, is it? Is it the? Uh, it's not the Camelback, the, is it? No, it's not. I think it's the Scottsdale okay, Princess because okay. I think mm, it's okay. which is a, sp- a spot where Ohio State has stayed over the years. Jack Miller's okay. a good quarterback. He was a big time recruit. He got hurt in high school, kind of lowered his ranking, wound up in a big competition with C.J. Stroud at Ohio State. Jack Miller might be the quarterback at Florida someday. Jack Miller was like a big time dude uh, in Arizona high school football a couple of years ago, but it's not going to be Emory Jones. No. So uh, so let's get to our picks. Let's get to our first pick. And I will say, last season, when we started this, I picked neither Alabama nor Clemson to make the playoff when we made our actual playoff picks in 
August, right before the season started. And I am going to start off by picking Alabama right now as a playoff team, because I think a lot of the things that you look at with Alabama, they're one of them would be a year ago, their quarterback had not played, and now their quarterback is the Heisman Trophy winner. So, and last year you weren't sure about the receivers, and then Jamison Williams showed why he's going to be a first-round draft pick in the NFL as a transfer from Ohio State. He's gone, but it's a little easier to just be like, I don't know, I guess they'll find receivers. And Will Anderson is back, who... I think has a very good chance to win the Heisman Trophy as a defensive player. A lot of the things that made me apprehensive about Alabama a year ago, I thought last year their running back going into the season was kind of like a good veteran in Brian Robinson, but who maybe isn't up to the, you know, Derrick Henry, uh, Mark Ingram, great Alabama running back standard. And like, it was fine. They lost during the regular season. They almost missed the playoff. They were like on, on a path to miss the playoff if they hadn't beaten Georgia in the SEC title game. But my doubts last year about Alabama were sort of based on them maybe having a couple holes that Alabama usually doesn't have. They're not perfect. Again, they, they, they made the national title game last year like with a right tackle who was one of the worst graded offensive linemen in the SEC. They made it despite some flaws and inexperience and I think almost – unusual talent dips for Alabama a year ago. But Nick Saban's work in the portal. They have a new running back coming in. They have a new defensive back coming in. They have a new receiver coming in. They have Will Anderson and Bryce Young back. And so I'm not messing around this year. Alabama's going to the playoff. And I'm not going to try to be fancy because like, I don't know exactly where the Alabama question marks are that are bigger than last year's question marks. And they overcame last year's question marks and made the national title game. Yeah, I mean, how many times does Alabama return their best offensive player and their best defensive player, right? Like, it never happens. Those guys are always off to the NFL. And this year, not only do they return those two guys, they arguably return the best offensive and defensive player in college football on on each side. So, I mean, if you're asking me, okay, you know, you get another year of Bryce Young, you get another year of Will Anderson – do I think that this team is going to be a playoff team at the end of it? Absolutely. I, I mean, I think that they're going to be a lot better this upcoming year. Uh, just in terms of experience, right? I also think that, like you kind of mentioned, I mean, with Jameson Williams, you really had a reliance on a transfer. I expect that during spring camp, we're going to get a lot of development from those receivers. I think that we're, they're going to get a lot of touches. I think that they're going to get a lot of development. And so by the time that you go into the fall, I, I think that there's going to be enough guys in the competition where we're not just talking about one or two guys. I think that we're going to be talking about three or four or five guys, obviously led by, by Jermaine Burton, the Georgia transfer. And then defensively, I mean, they bring a lot back. I, you know, every year you're going to have some cycling because it's Alabama and guys are going to be drafted. But again, I mean, I think on the defensive line, I like what they have. Uh, you know, Kool-Aid McKinstry is a player at, at cornerback who got a lot of touches because of injuries last year, which I like. And so, I mean, I, I just look at this Alabama team and I, like you said, there's not a question on this Alabama team that's bigger than any question that they had last year. Uh, and, and you bring back a quarterback, you bring back the best defender in college football. To me, they're not only making the playoff, they're like an easy number one seed. And Nick Saban, diabolical scheduling genius, who always manages to me to play an early season non-conference game that gets a lot of hype, that it's against a big name school, but isn't really a team that's going to beat 
Alabama in September. It is not like Clemson. Clemson did not get the playbook from Nick Saban about how to schedule a big name team that's more hype than substance. Clemson was like, oh, I don't know. Should we open with Georgia? It's like, no, you shouldn't open with Georgia. <laughs> what are you doing last year? So Bama gets Texas in week two. We have talked about that game. It's going to be Quinn Ewers. It's going to be here comes Sark. It's going to be, is this the revival of Texas football? But it's not like Texas is good. It's not like Texas is – they're not playing Ohio State in week two. They're not playing Clemson in week two. They're not playing an established – they're playing a team – that game is going to get blown up for a week. They're going to talk about Bryce Young versus Quinn Ewers, Will Anderson versus Quinn Ewers. And then Alabama's going to go out and be like, oh, no, we are four times better than this team. And they're going to get a lot of runoff of that. And then when you get into the regular season, again, this is one of those. It's like, hey, the SEC, we know the SEC is the best conference, but you go through this Alabama schedule. They got Texas A&M at home October 8th. And is there anything else that's scary? Re, you know, re, re, restarting LSU with Brian Kelly at Ole Miss? Is that uh, Auburn's a mess? Tennessee? Like, like, I don't – who's going to beat them? Who's – like, who's – what's their tough – I guess it's Texas A&M's their toughest game. I'm not playing – I'm not sure they're playing one of the other – they might not be playing more than one of the best other 20 teams in the country this year, their whole schedule. Arkansas, it's no it, – it's, it's not that hard. They'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, they, they have sort of ended up in the situation where they are playing, like, a bunch of pretty good teams. You know, like the SC West is much better, but like you don't have those elite teams if LSU is not going to be that team. Uh, you know, Texas a might be that team, but I, I honestly, I, I don't know. I mean, they're losing a lot to the draft. They're losing seven, eight, nine, ten guys to the NFL draft. And yes, I expect that they're going to recruit well, but it's going to be kind of like an Alabama transition year last year, I think, for Texas a And so... And on top of that, you're in a revenge spot after losing uh, to, to a, an assistant, uh, a Saban assistant for the first time ever. You know, I think that that's certainly going to be a game that's circled. So, like, no, I agree. I don't know who they're losing to. And, um, you know, maybe, again, you look at that at Ole Miss game, maybe things get a little squirrely. But, like, Mackerel's gone. You're going to kind of be trying to figure something else out at Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee hasn't beaten them in a, a long while. I, I don't know. I don't know who's going to beat them. I, I think that they probably do head into the SC Championship game at 12-0. and 0. So, like, hey, great podcast, guys. You think Alabama's going to make the playoff, but that's why we're getting it out of the way. They've made it seven out of eight years. Like, what? Yeah, we get it. We get it. They're Alabama. But again, a year ago, I did not pick them to make the playoff. And then they had to beat the undefeated number one team in the country in their conference championship game to get in. And they only made it that far because the Auburn guy ran out of bounds at the end of the, like Alabama, frankly, should not have made the playoff last year. They really should. They, the The world was right there, ready to knock them off, and they couldn't do it, which is a credit to Alabama. But that last year was their step-back year. And and teams don't rebuild anymore, teams like Alabama. They, you can win the national title every year at Alabama because just when you think, oh, wait, here comes the dip, it's like, I don't know. I mean, they, they still have supreme talent. But 
They did have to go find their best receiver in the transfer portal. They were starting a young quarterback. They did have some questions on defense. Their running back was good, not great. All those things were true, and they lost, and then they almost should have lost again, but they didn't, so they made the national championship game. So, like, that's – now But now they're back up. That was the down year. Sorry, world. You blew it. That was the down year. They're going to make it this year. That's one. We each have three more to do. We'll do it next on the College Football Survivor Show. In case you missed the last College Football Survivor Show. And I'm just going to tell you right now, Will Anderson is 60 to 1, and he's going to win the Heisman. Put money on it. Because the only reason that he's 60 to 1 is because people can't picture it, because we haven't seen it before. But the game is evolving. As dumb as Heisman voters are, they are evolving. Somebody has to be the first defensive lineman to win it. We know Charles Woodson won it as a defensive player, but he had the punt return stuff, played a little offense. They don't have to throw a touchdown pass to Will Anderson with a wrinkle here. We're getting at least a little smarter. And the first defensive lineman to win the Heisman, what does it look like? It looks exactly like this. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for exclusive College Survivor Show bonus episodes. All right. Back. Doug and Shahan, that's my first team. You agreed with it. Who's your next team that you have in the playoff right now? The next team is another one that I think is kind of a no-brainer. I've got Ohio State making it back to the playoff. I look at the Big Ten, and not a whole lot scares me, to be quite honest. I think that Ohio State brings back C.J. Stroud. They bring back Jackson Smith and Jigba. They bring back Travion Henderson. And... Honestly, those three guys alone, I, I feel like are better than <laughs> pretty much their entire schedule. They get Notre Dame in week one, but this is going to be a little bit of a rebuilding Notre Dame under Marcus Freeman. Uh, you know, they get Wisconsin, but I, I think you feel good about that game at Penn State is always an interesting game at Michigan State. But same sort of deal. I, I mean, I don't know who this team is that's necessarily going to beat them. And I don't think that Michigan is sitting there at the end as a team that has the potential to beat Ohio State next year. You know, they lost a lot on the defensive side of the ball and they have to break in uh, new coordinators, by the way, too. So I look at this Ohio State schedule. I see 12 and one pretty easily. So I do think they have like probably five top 25 teams on their schedule right between Notre Dame non-conference to open the season and then Michigan, Michigan State in their division. And then they do have their crossovers with the Big Ten West are about as tough as they can be because they have Wisconsin and they have Iowa. And those are, that's the Big Ten West champ from last year and the team that has been the dominant team in the Big Ten West since they went East and West. Those are two top 25 teams. Ohio State gets both those games at home. So they get Wisconsin at home. They get Iowa at home. They get Notre Dame at home. They get Michigan at home. So four of their five toughest games are going to be in Ohio Stadium. They have eight home games in their 12-game schedule, which is unusual. That helps a little bit. But more than that, it's like it doesn't matter. You you know, play, play in a bean field. They have – one of the two best quarterbacks, the best receiver, and one of the two or three best running backs. They have a good offensive line. They're moving one of their guards, Paris Johnson Jr., who was a five-star recruit a couple years ago. He's kicking out the left tackle. He's probably the best. He's probably the best offensive line recruit Ohio State has had since Orlando Pace. And they he he was a backup as a freshman. 
and he was a guard as a sophomore because they had too many tackles. Now he's finally going to play tackle. He's probably going to be pretty darn good. Their other receivers, they have Marvin Harrison Jr., who's a son of a Hall of Famer. They have Emeka Egbuka, who was the number one receiver in his class. They have Julian Fleming, who was the number one receiver in his class. Those are their three receivers behind Jackson Smith and Jigba. And then it's the defense. And it's one of those things, Shahan, how good do you think Ohio State's defense has to be to make the playoff? They were not good last year. But Jim Knowles is in as one of the most respected defensive coordinators in the country. Do they have to be a top 10 defense to make the playoff? No, right? I don't think so. They just can't be 50th. They can't lose games because of their defense. But if they have a top 25 defense, that should be good enough. And frankly, with the guys they recruit and with a schemer like Jim Knowles, they better be a top 25 defense. And again, that was last year was the year because last year there were legitimate defensive questions. They'd shown them a little bit the year before. When they made the national championship game in the COVID year, it was like, I don't know. There's some questions about Kerry Combs as a coordinator. There's some questions about the talent dip after Chase Young and guys like that left. And all those things came true. And Michigan got them. So unlike Bama, the world got Ohio State last year. Oregon and Michigan got them. They didn't make the playoff. But what they're good at, they're still good at. And what they were bad at, they're going to be better at. They're not going to be worse on defense. And they're not going to be the same. They're going to be at least a little bit better, maybe quite a bit better, and maybe it'll be a transformation and they look like a completely different team. But they'll almost certainly be good enough to be a playoff team. And then we can talk about their defense against Bryce Young. Is it good enough? But that's not the question during the season because guess what? Bryce Young doesn't play in the Big Ten. Yeah, and I mean, I think for me, the other part is that I wouldn't be that surprised if they're only a little bit better. Um, not, not just on the defense side of the ball, but just overall, because you do lose two of the most dynamic receivers in, you know, in college football history in some ways. But like, if the, let's say that they're the, the same as last year. I don't think that the teams that they're playing are, you know, last year you get two legit top 10, top five type teams in Oregon and Michigan. And that's how you get beats. I don't think that those teams are on your schedule this year because you mentioned five top 25 games potentially, but I don't know if any of these teams is a top 10 team. I I don't know if any of these teams is a legit top 15 team, right? It's going to be a lot of teams right there in the 10 to 25 range probably. And so it's more about not tripping up, I think, than playing teams that are legitimately better than you, right? I I don't think that – I think that Michigan last year was better than Ohio State and they matched up well. I think that there are teams that maybe match up well, but I don't think that there are teams that legit can come out and say, it come on the field and say, we are better than Ohio State. And, um, you know, and I think, I think that that's going to give Ohio State, especially defensively, a lot of time to figure things out. David Ojabo, Aiden Hutchinson, and Dax Hill are gone at Michigan. That's three potential first round guys that helped Michigan beat Ohio State last year. You don't think that's going to happen again. There's, you know, Braylon Allen is a running back at Wisconsin. He might give him some trouble. You know, Iowa's plays some pretty good defense. They have some of their guys back. They're a pretty darn good team. Um, but you look even early in the year, C.J. Stroud was making his second career start in that Oregon game and had a chance sort of maybe to have a game-winning drive at the end and threw a pick on the sideline that looked like the kind of play that a guy makes when he's making his second career start. And now when C.J. Stroud will be making – you know, his 14th and 15th and 16th career starts after being a Heisman finalist last year, he 
probably won't make a play like that against Notre Dame in their early season non-conference game if Notre Dame gives them as much trouble as Oregon did last year, right? They're a little more set up to fight back against that because they're not quite as young. They're one of the more experienced teams among the top-level Power 5 teams because they were so young last year, and it, you know, the, the, the schedule, frankly, is about as good as it can be for a Big Ten team, right? That Michigan's pretty good. Michigan State's pretty good. Iowa's pretty good. Wisconsin's pretty good. Maybe Penn State will be a little bit better. Maybe that'll be a tough game. They're playing everybody you can play. They just have more talent than everybody else in the Big Ten. And Notre Dame's good, but Notre Dame's going to be, has a, you know, they're going to be breaking in some new quarterbacks. They have a new head coach. They don't have Kyle Hamilton anymore, right? That's Notre Dame's not going to be at peak Notre Dame when they come to Ohio Stadium to open the season. So I think, and I think right now, yes, Ohio State has defensive questions, but I think you can look at Alabama and say, okay, I really like Bryce Young and Will Anderson, but I'm not a thousand percent sure who the Alabama playmakers are going to be. They're going to have guys, right? Because they're Bama. But I think you can look at C.J. Stroud, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, and Trevion Henderson and a pretty good offensive line, and Jim Knowles as a defensive coordinator. I think I believe Ohio State should be the national championship favorite right now. And that then they also, they just, they don't have to get through the SEC. They have more talent than everybody in the Big Ten. They should get there, and then when they get there, they're going to have a dynamic offense, and that usually, that travels pretty well. Um, Bama's Bama, but I think if you, I think if you took the names off the teams and went roster by roster, I think you might go with Ohio State based on some of their offensive skill. But then also you have Nick Saban. So I don't know. I think right now the betting lines, Bama's the favorite, Georgia's second, Ohio State's third. I really do think that they had the number one offense in the country last year and they return enough pieces of that that I kind of am viewing Ohio State as a national championship favorite right now. Interesting. I I can't quite get there yet. I, I think I need to see how this defense looks. I need to see uh, what Jim Knowles does with it. Um, you know, the other thing too, just legitimately, right? I know that uh, that some of this feels like message board talk, fan talk, but like Ohio State got out-toughed multiple times last season. You know, that's just a culture thing. That's just a, a top-to-bottom sort of roster thing. And if you aren't physical – when you go against Alabama, it's not going to go well. If you play Georgia, it's not going to go well. And so I think that I need to see those questions answered. Like, I, I think from a pure talent and development perspective, I, I see that potential. But for me, I think it's still, you know, Alabama has 85 guys who everybody in the country wanted to. You know, Alabama's got the best offensive player if these two teams played. They have the best defensive player if these two teams played. I trust Alabama's defense a little bit more at this point. Um, though I do trust Jim Knowles, I'd say, more than Pete Golding at defensive coordinator, though then Nick Saban's also kind of over the whole thing. So I, I get the argument. I, I still think for me, though, Alabama's that team. As Will Anderson, as you said, is not only the best defensive player in Alabama, he's the best defensive player in the country. We did an exercise the other day. If you said, name Ohio State's best defensive player, the answer is I'm not sure. And it's not because they have five All-Americans. It's because they have eight guys who seem like they're pretty good, but I don't know exactly. And maybe they have these young guys, which is kind of an odd place to be as, you know, if you were doing it a couple of years ago, it's like it's Chase Young. Right. And it's like, well, that's not where they are right now. So that is a legitimate, legitimate thing that Jim Knowles can't just come and snap his fingers 
because they had scheme issues last year, but they had coaching issues. They had personnel issues. It was sort of top to bottom with the defense. And again, it's a lot of the same players back with the new coordinator, but those players have to play better in the system. So, and who's Chase Young? I I, I don't know. Maybe JT Tumalowau, who was a five-star recruit, one of the five best players in the country, who committed to Ohio State late last year, didn't commit till July, came in to preseason practice. They were like, man, this is one of those. Like, you just got to find out where the bathrooms are. And then he was like, no, I'm good. I'll play. And they were like, oh, no, you are going to play. And he wound up kind of like as their third defensive end as a true freshman who had barely been here. And now he's back. And now he knows what's up. And he was pretty darn good last year. And I do think JT Tumaloa is a guy that has a chance to wreck some games here and there. I think he compares a little bit to Cam Hayward as a guy who was a great player at Ohio State a decade and a half ago. So I'll be curious to see how that goes. But, you know, Bama doesn't have that question right now. So we agree on Ohio State and Alabama. Are Those are the two obvious that we think if – if we had a hundred co-hosts on this show instead of two co-hosts, would we almost go a hundred for a hundred on Bama and Ohio State? I think so. Especially, I think when you look around the country, there's not like an obvious team to push those two teams out, right? Like, I mean, it, it is almost. Do you feel like there are going to be two or three SEC teams that are clearly better than Bama? Because that's what it's going to take ultimately. You know, it's not just going to take them losing a game. It's going to take them losing multiple games. And I just, I just don't see that many teams pushing them out. I mean, last year, I think in a lot of ways was the example of the Alabama team that isn't a true Alabama team. And they play in the national title game. So I, I think that Alabama and Ohio State, unless, unless there's somebody, the one case would be if there's somebody who feels like there's another Big Ten team who can push Ohio State out. But even then, if there's a team that's of that quality, Ohio State still has a chance to get in as a four seed. And I do think the two teams, so Georgia and Michigan last year as the teams that got Alabama and Ohio State, now Georgia didn't get Bama until the national title game, they both lost a lot. So the idea of like just running back Georgia and Michigan is sort of like, last year was your year. I don't feel as good about you beating out these two programs that have consistently been the best teams in those conferences. Doesn't mean we don't have Georgia and Michigan in our playoff. We might, but they're behind Ohio State and Alabama, which they typically are. All right, let's go to my third team. And I am going to put Clemson back in the playoff. And in 2020, I was very interested in angry Bama after Bama did not make the playoff for the only time in this eight-year cycle when they did not make it to Joe Burrow year for LSU. And I thought, oh, what does this look like, right? Like this this rock-solid program that now is going to have a chip on its shoulder. I do not like fake underdog college football stuff, but that's like real underdog college football stuff. For Alabama, if you make the playoff every year and you don't make the playoff, then you're mad. And then the next year, all off season, Nick Saban's like, oh, I guess we're not going to be a playoff team again. Right. And then you're like, yeah, we are. And then you crawl through the tire. I imagine that's how college football practice works, right? Crawl through the tire. Okay. Your coach yells at you. Then you crawl through a tire. Is that usually what, isn't there a lot of tires? Don't you see, you go to a college football practice tires everywhere. No, I feel Long like it's kids. more flipping them over than it oh. is uh, trying to crawl through them. I'm getting college football practice confused with the playground. Because a playground, sometimes you crawl through a tire. That's my bad. Are, are you thinking of a tire swing? Might be a swing. I might be thinking of an old-time watering hole. 
like where you swing like a, like a Tom Sawyer kind of thing. That's my bad. Sorry about that, Nick Saban. I don't think you're crawling through tires out there. Uh, how old are you? I'm 91. I'm 91. I was friends. I was friends with uh, Samuel Longhorn Clemens as a boy. We used to go down and just uh, drink lemonade down by the watering hole. So I do think that Dabo's got ammo, right? And they're going to have a lot of doubts because people are going to say they lost their coaches and Dabo's going to be like, oh, so we're just coaches here. We're not players. Oh, wow. You guys lost your coaches. I guess you stink now. And they're going to be like, we don't care about these coaches. And then they're going to do their thing and they're going to be in the sand pit. How about a sand pit? Again, that might be a playground. Isn't there a sand pit at practice? No, absolutely, definitely not a sand pit. Are, are, are you thinking of golf? That might be. I've been in those a lot. Uh, I've told you my golf story, right? That there's a Jack Nicholas. He's famous. Hosts a golf tournament here in the Columbus area. And I was at the media day for the golf tournament several years ago. And I was like, please don't make me play. Please. I'm going to break Jack Nicholas's golf course. And they were like, no, 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 no. It'll be fine. So they had this thing at one of the holes where after you played the hole, they said, Hey, throw your ball in the bunker and hit out of it. And we'll do a closest to the pin out of the bunker for a little prize. And I ripped one like a line drive, a hundred miles an hour out of the bunker. And they had one of those like old time scoreboards right next to the green. And I nailed the scoreboard and I dented it. And then I was covering the tournament that week. And like, I got to that hole and it was still dented. And I said, <laughs> I, I told you I was going to break Jack Nicholas's tournament and you didn't believe me. And I did it. So don't let me golf anymore. In the sand pit, Dabo's going to be. Come on, just just nice and easy. You're not supposed to swing at it. It's just you got to take you got to take all the sand. I got too much ball. You got to hit behind the ball and get all the sand. And the sand throws the ball out. I got all ball, all ball. <laughs> so I just think Clemson. We had talked about before. I think Clemson has a chance to have a Georgia-like defense this year. You've talked about the quarterback situation. Last year it was DJ Uyunglele or bust. This year it's not. If DJ doesn't play well, Cade Klubnick's going to be in there. And I just think there are a couple different ways where it got away from them last year about as bad as it could get away. I'm, But I'm not banking on the return of that DJ Uyunglele is just going to get it back. But he might. But they have an option that they didn't really have last year. Even though it's a true freshman – but they had a lot of injuries on defense, at least some. I think they have a chance to have like multiple, multiple, multiple dynamic guys on the defensive side of the ball. And then I think you throw in, you know, like a Will Shipley in the backfield coming back from injury and Kobe Pace and enough other guys here and there. I think they'll have enough and they don't play Georgia in the non-conference. And then who's going to come get them? You know, is 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 somebody in the ACC, NC State or Wake Forest or Miami, whether it's in the regular season or in the ACC championship game, is somebody going to come get them? Maybe, but in March, I'm not sure who and I'm not sure how. So I'll pick Clemson to get back to being Clemson, even with Tony Elliott and Brent Venables gone, and they'll be my third playoff team. I, I can't quite get there. I I've mentioned it before. You rank. Every ACC quarterback in terms of passing efficiency, there are 15 who, who are qualified. DJ's last. 
you look at interceptions, he's uh, he's tied for second with Brennan Armstrong, who, by the way, threw for twice as many yards as him. You look at touchdowns, he's only at nine touchdowns to ten interceptions. That's awful. The only quarterback that he's in front of in terms of completion percentage is Garrett Schrader from Syracuse. So, like, he was at worst, or, or at best, I guess, the uh, the second worst quarterback in the ACC last year. So, clearly, that can't repeat itself. Now, the thing that you like is that that means that if you get even average quarterback play at Clemson, it should be better than 10 and three, right? It should. And you mentioned, I, I look at that schedule. I mean, NC State is going to be a really interesting game, but it's at home on October 1st. They go to Wake Forest, who they handled pretty well last season. I think it just might be a physical disadvantage. You do go to Florida State, which I, you know, I mean, Florida State's kind of slowly but surely coming you go to Notre Dame that's probably the game that concerns me most you get Louisville and Miami and I I think you wish that you could have gotten Miami earlier in the season so I just feel like there's enough stumbling blocks and the other thing too is that I feel like they have to I don't know if they have to go undefeated but like they might have to go undefeated because they don't play a signature opponent other than maybe Notre Dame I don't know it it just feels like this team has a lot of questions still. Defensively, I think they're going to be good, but like Brent Venables is also gone. You know, they won 10 games every year that Brent Venables was there from 2012 to 2021. I don't know that it's a guarantee that just the next guy comes in and it's just seamless. You know, I think that there is some reason for question about that. And offensively, again, I mean, they were not good last year and they have some pieces coming in, but I mean... They need receivers. They they need guys who are going to step up there too. And so I just have enough questions about them. And I think that there are enough stumbling blocks along the way that, uh, that I'm keeping them out of my playoff again this year. It'll be interesting if by the time we get to November, if it really feels like Miami has a chance to go in there and beat them. We've talked about Tyler Van Dyke a lot. We really like him. That pairing with Josh Gaddis as the offensive coordinator, Mario Cristobal sort of reviving the pride in the U. I think Mario Cristobal... It, it seems to be getting a lot of buy-in at Miami and the players and the fans are excited again. And that can really matter and that can really translate. But one of the things as we have this discussion about trying to pick a playoff team, there are so many first-year coaches at really important programs right now that when you go from Mario Cristobal at Miami to Brian Kelly at LSU to Brent Venables at Oklahoma to Lincoln Riley at USC to Dan Lanning at Oregon to Kalen, um, what's his name? Kalen DeBoer. Kalen DeBoer at Washington. There are Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame. There are so many places where once you get past like Ohio State and Alabama and you start looking around that who's good, who has good players, who has an interesting schedule, who – a lot of them are like, well, they're new. They're breaking in a new guy. And again, there was this time, there was this period where a lot of second-year coaches in the 2000s won national titles, right, which we've talked about before. Jim Trestle did it at Ohio State. Urban Meyer did it at Florida. Um, and I, I can see winning in year two. Winning in year one, like, hey, I'm here. Let's go. Unless you just have five stars you know, dripping everywhere and they just had no scheme and no culture. And you're like, Hey, we have as much talent as anybody. And here comes scheme and culture. We're good. That's not usually how it goes. 
I don't know. Maybe Brian Kelly at LSU would be the guy who has the best chance to do that because LSU sort of seemed like a mess at the end of Coach O. And once Dave Aranda and Joe Brady left, I'm not sure they had a scheme on either side of the ball either. So maybe that's it. But, you know, Manny Diaz, I think Manny Diaz knows defense. He kind of got booted at Miami because I think they just wanted a home homegrown guy in Mira Cristobal. Not that Manny Diaz wasn't a homegrown guy for Miami either. But anyway, I think year one's too early for a lot of these guys. And so you start taking out the year one guys, and I wound up going back to, well, my first three teams are the three teams that have dominated the playoff era who do not have new coaches. So maybe I'm a, maybe it's a cop-out. But once we started looking, I know, Shahan, I'm curious where you are on this because I know it feels like sometimes the way you've talked about this, you think there's like a great opportunity. There's some some wide open stuff. And I agree it's wide open, Then, but then once it's wide open, I'm standing out in the field and I'm looking around and I don't know where to go in the wide open field because there's been such turnover at the top of the sport. Yeah, you said all that, and I'm going to immediately kind of uh, go in a different direction than what you just said. And I'm going to go to Salt Lake City on October 14th. And we got a great game here. We got Utah hosting USC. Whoever wins that game is going to the playoff. And right, right this second, right this second, this is going to change by tomorrow. It might change in five minutes. Right this second, I'm picking USC to make the playoff. So a couple things. First of all, I also have a game that's like the winner of this game is my other playoff team. So I'm fascinated that you have gone here. And this is such a a contrast because I think when you look at the Pac-12, would you say that the three best programs, USC, Oregon, Washington, all have first-year coaches and then there's Utah, who won it last year, has a Hall of Fame coach who's been there for two decades. And then it becomes a question of, is Utah's best enough in a conference that's undergoing transition? But you cannot find a better way to answer that question than to decide the Utah-USC game is the turning point. It's this Utah team that went to the Rose Bowl, almost beat Ohio State, has a ton back with a guy who's been there forever against the new $10 million man who is there to revive the Trojans. I mean, if if this, if you're right, that game is going to be awesome, and it's going to be a pivot point in the history of the new Pac-12. No question about it. So I look at USC. I know that they were, whatever, 4-8 and eight last year. They were really bad. Uh, but I do think that in a lot of ways – they are what you're talking about. They're a team that kind of just didn't have a direction, didn't have much scheme going on. Uh, I mean, th- this was a top 10 talent composite team last year, and they brought in some really good players, some really key transfers, some proven commodities. I think that that record is very misleading. Heading into the year, the expectation was if Clay Helton doesn't win the Pac-12, if he doesn't compete for a playoff spot, then he's out. But it was also because we thought that they might have a roster that might be able to do it. Now, you do lose Drake London, of course, to the NFL, but I don't think that this team is as far away as its 2021 performance says it is. I I think that once you fire a coach in week two or three, I mean, it's over, right? Like, nobody's trying at that point everybody's just kind of doing their own thing but you know how do you how do you get kids to come to practice and like 
try to run zone correctly. You know, you're, you're just not really doing that. And so I think that you have Lincoln Riley coming in who one, I mean, obviously just a great offensive coach, right? Like maybe the best offensive coach in the game. And on top of that, if you're a USC player right now, you've been playing for Clay Helton your entire career. And now Lincoln Riley's like, I want you and you want me, you know? So like, I think you just walk in and you have instant credibility in that room because you're Lincoln Riley and everybody knew that you were one of the great coaches in college football. And then I think you do look at bringing in somebody like uh, like Caleb Williams at quarterback. You do look at bringing in Mario Williams at receiver. They've got enough guys, in my opinion, to be competitive. But the other thing about it, too, I, I don't think because uh, because when we talk about playoff teams, we are talking about teams that have a pathway to, you know, their season can go a certain way and it sets up in a way where they look like a playoff team. Right. It's not necessarily me saying that I think that they're going to be one of the four best teams in the country. That's not I, I don't think that that's the conversation here. The question is, can they be 12 and one? Can they be 13 and 0? Can they have a big win on uh, over Utah on their schedule? Can they beat Notre Dame? And I, I think that they have a chance to do that. I think that they have a chance to be 12 and one and look impressive enough that they can come out of the Pac 12 and, and potentially be a third or fourth playoff team in a year where it feels like everything is wide open. So I liked how I was like, I mean, you're not going to win as a first-year coach unless you walk in somewhere with five-star talent dripping everywhere and you completely change a place that had no scheme and no culture. And you were like, are you perfectly describing USC or what? <laughs> and rang? I guess I was. Yeah, right? I mean, like you said, they're a top-10 talent composite, and we know Lincoln Riley has scheme, and the culture is make USC cool again. Well, I mean, not, not to like be simplistic, but that's a thing. Pete Carroll, USC, was cool. Clay Helton, USC, was not cool. Lincoln Riley, USC, is going to be cool again. Will Farrell and Snoop Dogg are going to be back at practice. That's what yeah. it's all about, baby. Yeah, no question. I, I mean, I have to, uh, I have to, uh, go to some hard hitting reporting from Colin Cowherd, uh, who says sources told me Lincoln Riley's first USC practice was flawless. One observer noted some are calling it the greatest practice ever on a college campus. So, you can't argue with that, uh, with those, uh, that reporting, you know, what you have to, you have to listen to people who are there on the ground and definitely not just tweeting stuff. I did think I was at Ohio State's practice the other day and I did think to myself, they are stretching like champions. So that's my, <laughs> that's my on the ground report from Columbus. God bless Colin Cowherd for just being like, man, this seems like it's going to be a big deal. I'm going to latch myself onto this. He is, he's gone crazy. You know what's worse? He went to Eastern Washington and like he hasn't tweeted about Cooper Cup at all. For real? What's up, man? Uh, what's going on? Come on. The uh, so I I I don't think this is crazy. And the thing is, the Pac-12 has not had a team in the playoff for five years, but. Would this be a Pac-12 team making the playoff or would this be Lincoln Riley making a playoff? Because Lincoln Riley's made the playoff and we've talked about that. The coach brings his credibility with him. And I do think they're, they're, this is ground zero for the new Pac-12 in this era of DeBoer and Lanning and Riley. And then who's going to keep up? And Kyle Whittingham is trying to hold it down for the old guard. And this is nothing against Utah. Utah was one of the teams on my list. Utah opens the season at Florida, which just seems like exactly the kind of thing to me where 
People love Utah all offseason. They're coming off a great Rose Bowl. They have a lot back. They have Cam Rising back at quarterback, Tavian Thomas back at running back. Two of their three tight ends are back. They have a lot back. And then they go to Florida for the beginning of the Billy Napier era. And Billy Napier, again, talking about scheme and culture, has something waiting for him. And it might be the 250-pound quarterback, Anthony Richardson. And that I am always wary of good teams off a great year now being expected to maintain or even jump up from greatness. Utah had as good of a year as it ever had last year, and now people are expecting more. And I think it's the consensus at Utah that Devin Lloyd was probably the best defensive player in their history of Utah football, and he's gone. And again, Chase Young was as good of an edge rusher as Ohio State has ever seen. When he left, as much as Ohio State just cranks guys out, they haven't replaced him, and they've missed him. I don't know that you can just lose Devin Lloyd, even though Utah has a lot back, and just replace that. I think there might be a hole in the middle of that team this year. So when you look at where they start, when you look at a a game like that USC game, I wound up not going with Utah as a playoff team. And then I said, well, the three other teams in the Pac-12 that are big-time programs all have first-year head coaches. The Pac-12 hasn't made it in five years. I'm not picking a Pac-12 team. But the one thing I think is interesting here is in the eight years, we've only had a conference get two teams in twice, 2018 and last year with Alabama and Georgia both times. So, and we've had Notre Dame get in a couple times. We saw Cincinnati get in last year. But in March, the most reasonable thing probably is to pick, I'm going to pick four conference champs from the five from the five power five conference. I'll pick four of them. So we have Ohio State and Alabama. And now you've tried to try to try to pick two of the three champs from the ACC Big 12 and Pac-12. So I picked the ACC champ in Clemson. You didn't pick Clemson, but you did pick the Pac-12 champ. But there's a point here, Shahan, where we are now searching because you're trying to figure out in sort of this revamped world who are the best teams from these other three conferences because the path is there for the champ of those conferences. No question. And I think that this is still a very open year, I think. Uh, and and I think that, you know, if you're if you're one of these teams that is competing at the top, right, if you go 12-1 and one and you win the conference, I think that's good enough to get into the college football playoff. I think you can have a stumbling block and still feel okay about it. But that that said, I, I think that uh, that my fourth team is probably going to be a little bit more of a of a chalk, I guess you could say. More chalk, okay. My team is going to be less chalk for my fourth spot. So we we will do that next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Doug and Shahan back. We both have Ohio State. We both have Alabama. Shahan, you have USC. I have Clemson. Those are our playoff picks for now, three each. Who is your last team that you're picking for the playoff right now? So I'll I'll preface with this. I really wanted to 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 pick NC State. I really wanted to. But then I just sat there with myself and I'm just like, can I do this? Am I really doing this? NC State has never won 10 games in program history unless you count last year when they counted the bowl 
postponement as a forfeit and said we want 10 games which i do not do um it's just it's too much for me to ask they do have to play clemson obviously early in the year i couldn't do it like i couldn't do it but that said i think georgia makes it back to the college football playoffs wow okay two sec yeah i think they're gonna be significantly worse but you go to Oregon in the first game, and I don't think Oregon's going to be ready to play a team like Georgia in the first game. And then after that, I mean, this is like the worst SEC East we've seen in a while. And that's saying something because the SEC East has been pretty bad for the better part of a decade. You go at South Carolina, at Mizzou, versus Auburn, who is a mess right now, versus Vanderbilt. Then Florida, obviously, you get, and I don't think they're going to be ready for that game. Tennessee at Mississippi State at Kentucky Georgia Tech like I don't know who's beating them <laughs> I, I don't really see a team that's beating them and then they're gonna go you know 11-1 12-0 and then get well I guess they have to go 12-0 and then they're just gonna get destroyed I think in the SEC championship game against Alabama but it won't matter there'll be a 12-1 team coming from the SEC and I think that's probably gonna be enough and again you know we, we talk about uh, I'll mention again being a playoff team does not mean that you're one of the top four teams of the country necessarily. It means that your path comes together. And I think that Georgia's path, even though I don't think that they're going to be an awesome team, and I certainly don't think they're going to be as good as last year, it, it's just who's going to beat them. You know, there's nobody on their schedule who I feel like after that Oregon game, which again, I still think is going to go Georgia's direction after that game. I mean, the rest of the schedule is kind of a joke. Are, are, are they going to play another top 25 team the entire year? Is Oregon even going to finish a top 25 team? I don't know. And if you're a 12 and one SEC team, even if you get destroyed in the championship game and your strength of schedule isn't very good, I think that being a 12 and one SEC team is going to be enough to get them in the playoff anyway. Props to Georgia, by the way, for opening last year with Clemson and opening this year with Oregon. Cool. These, these games are cool. Great for that George is doing that. So the the real issue here when you go with a second team from the SEC is sort of a lack of belief in, for you, since you picked the Pac-12, in the Big 12 and the ACC. That I just don't think there's going to be somebody who has the record. Again, it's not the best teams. It's the teams with the best resumes and have the best playoff profiles. So I do think... I could see Georgia coming off the high. Spencer Rattler's in there. Oh, my gosh. Don't do this. Don't do this. Billy Napier's, Billy, Johnny Manziel, light. You know, you just give like, you have to have one good game. Billy Napier's in there from Florida. I agree the SEC East is not good, but is there somebody that can jump up and bite a Georgia team that maybe after an undefeated regular season, a national championship, last year is not built to go 12 and 0 just because it's hard to go 12 and 0. And I do think, I think to your point, because the schedule's not great and because we're anticipating them losing to Alabama in the SEC championship game, an 11 and one regular season is not good enough, which you said, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause then they'd be 11 and two and I don't think that gets them in. So that's what I think I at the moment would bank on random Georgia loss. You don't see coming because it's hard to go undefeated because they're replacing basically an entire defense because maybe the Stetson Bennett balloon pops just a little bit. 
because there's just enough things. They're not as good as last year. And I do think I was scouring as well, right? Well, okay. I have an ACC team. I have a Big Ten team. I have an SEC team. I don't think it's Notre Dame. So where am I going? I got to go look in the Pac-12. I didn't find anybody in the Pac-12 that I thought it was. So who is it? And I found a game. And I found a game that I think might be maybe possibly a week two playoff game. And it is between Baylor and BYU. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Because if you look at the big 12, Brent Venables is in year one at Oklahoma, Oklahoma state just lost defensive coordinator, Jim Knowles, who is really important to what they do. Baylor has Gary Bohannon back at quarterback, right? Not the world's greatest quarterback, but experience. Dave Aranda's pretty good at this as a head coach. And if I'm looking for stability in the Big 12 and the Pac-12, stability in a program that has had pretty good success, I'm going to Baylor. And then I thought, well, I don't have to, I can stop my Baylor research there because Sean will take over after that. But I also cannot get away from BYU. I think Jaron Hall is one of the 10 best quarterbacks back in college football. You watch this guy. He can spin it. He can run it when he needs to. He's physical. They've played a lot of big games last year. BYU has a schedule in a world where if you think Georgia's not going to go undefeated in the regular season, if you think the champs of the Pac-12, Big 12, and ACC all might be a little iffy, they have a schedule. Baylor in Week 2, Oregon in Week 3, Notre Dame, Arkansas, Boise State, Stanford. They have a chance. They might have a win over the Big 12 champ, a win over a team that makes the Pac-12 championship game, a win over a double-digit win Notre Dame team. Like, they might have four top 25 wins, and we'll get to the end of it. And if they're 12-0 and as an independent, their last year as an independent, if they're 12-0, and they're going to have a better resume than Cincinnati had last year because Cincinnati basically banked it on Notre Dame, and that was it. And they had a good year this last year. This last year in Utah was the best year in the history of Utah football. Utah State went 11-3. and Utah went 10-4. and BYU went 10-3. and BYU was 11-1 and the year before. BYU is legit from top to bottom, and they're playing a bunch of good teams. They have more back than any team. They have more experience back than any team in the playoff race. And I like their quarterback. When you go through all this stuff, hey, where's the hole for BYU? Running back. Running backs are the easiest thing to replace. They got Chris Brooks as a transfer from Cal. He was Cal's leader in Westerner last year. He doesn't have to set the world on fire, but they found one because they have the other stuff. And I was going through stuff. There was I was reading about spring practice. They had like six or seven spring practices in. They like their receivers. They like how stuff's coming along. I think they're for real, and I think Baylor's for real. And I'll take the winner of the Baylor-BYU game because I think Baylor's going to win the Big 12. And then if they if they do that and they beat BYU, then they're in as the Big 12 champ. Or BYU will get in ahead of them because they will have beaten the Big 12 champ and then have gone undefeated in my mind. That's my game. It's your team. <laughs> You're allowed to tell me that I'm crazy. So I will start by saying I think that BYU, if they go undefeated, does get in. 
I, I do think that their schedule is impressive enough that they should at least have a really good shot to get in. I wish that some of their other games were a little more impressive, right? I mean, they do play South Florida, who's been awful. I think that South Florida could be a little better. They do get Utah State on September 28th. I actually really like that game. Liberty on October 21st is a pretty solid game, all things considered. East Carolina, I think they're going to be a seven or eight win team potentially. So, like, there's opportunities. So I do think that if uh, if they do go 12-0, and they have a really good shot of getting in. For Baylor, I, the only concern that I have with Baylor is that because um, they 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 lose some key players on defense, but I think they have the personnel to replace it. Uh, they lose their top receiver. Obviously, people saw Tyquan Thornton run a four two seven, and uh, hey, guess what, guys? He's he was really good his entire career at Baylor. Um, I think they have the personnel to replace them. My big question though is that I just think that this Big Twelve is going to be so competitive. I, I think there's going to be so much parity in the Big 12 this upcoming year because, you know, Oklahoma's in a little bit of a rebuilding gear under Brent Venables. Baylor gets them on on November 4th in Norman. They can win that game. I think that's definitely possible. They get Texas in the last week of the year, November 25th. I think you would have liked to have gotten them a little earlier. And then you go like, at Iowa State's a tough game. Oklahoma State's going to be a tough game. At West Virginia, at Texas Tech. There's just a lot of stumbling blocks, I think. And so I think that the Big Ten, the Big 12 champ, rather, is very likely to be 11 and 2. I, I think that they're very likely to have lost two games. And, you know, we talk about, again, there's a difference between being a top four team and being a playoff team. You know, I think that Baylor might have a chance to be a legit top five quality team in the nation this upcoming year. But there's just so many stumbling blocks, I think, along the way that it's hard for me to feel confident that they can make it through that entire Big 12 schedule only losing one game. I do think 12-1 and one is enough to get them in, for sure. But it's just a lot of games. Now, like you said, if, if BYU again is a top 15 team and they go on the road and beat BYU and then they lose something somewhere else, then I think certainly you feel great about that and that 12-1 and one is definitely more than enough to get in. But I, I have them losing at least two games right this second. But at the same time, I mean, you know, I, I don't know exactly which those games are. You know, I, I think that you look at Oklahoma, but Oklahoma, I think, is is rebuilding. I'm not exactly sure how good they're going to be. And I don't think that uh, I don't think Dylan Gabriel is going to be ready for that defense by any means. You know, I, I think that there's a lot of reasons for optimism. Oklahoma State on September 30th, I think it's going to be a really interesting game. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's definitely possible. It's definitely possible. But uh, I... I'm not ready to go out and pick it yet for either Baylor or BYU. So if I had to pick a team, I'll take Baylor, I guess. I think the idea of Baylor gets a really good – I think it will be a really good non-conference win for them, um, especially because it's at BYU. And then they get to that Big 12 schedule and they play some close games and they pull them out and they lose one somewhere – but then they go to the Big 12 championship game and they win the Big 12 championship and they've maybe had a couple of close escapes, but they're 12 and one with BYU non-conference. They're the champ of that conference. Maybe the Pac-12 is, I mean, the Pac-12 hasn't been a factor in the playoff. George is not undefeated. And I just think it might be easy. It might be like, hey, what's the playoff this year? It's like, actually, it kind of worked out. The Pac-12 still sorting itself out. Nobody else is undefeated. And so it's, the SEC, ACC, Big Ten, and Big 12 champs, and that's it. Would you 
If you had to pick a Big 12 champ right now, would you pick Baylor? I think I'd lean Baylor, but it could be Oklahoma State. It could be Oklahoma. You know, I, I don't think Texas is impossible. So I think that Baylor has, I guess you could say, the plurality right now. I think that I'd give them like a 30% chance, but there's going to be a lot of teams, I think, competing for it. All right, so I'll make a list. We'll we'll keep uh, try to keep track of our evolving ideas about this for now. Shahan's four playoff teams as we speak here in March. Alabama, Ohio State, USC, and Georgia. My four, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and Baylor. But, man, I'm on the lookout for BYU. We appreciate you guys making the College Football Survivor Show part of your college football experience. Next week, the plan, combos, best athletic departments in the country combined men's basketball, football, squish them together. Who would you take? Maybe we'll do it as a draft, Sean. Maybe we'll do top 10 and we'll just pick, pick, pick in a row. You pick five. I pick five. Um, The Tuesday show that's for Apple podcast subscribers. We did sort of what we did here, but with the Heisman. And I thought we had a really fun conversation about people like we didn't do necessarily the obvious people, the the top three guys on the betting odds right now. But we had some fun conversations about guys like Will Anderson and Quinn Ewers and Jackson Smith and Jigba and some people like that. So I think if you like this conversation, you would like that conversation on the Tuesday podcast. It's two ninety nine a month for Apple podcast subscribers. You know, you stick your thumb on it and it. I don't know what it does if your thumb is connected to your credit card, but the magic of money fairy, you put your thumb on and the money just is sucked out of your body and goes to Apple and then a little bit of it goes to us. It, it's been quite a while since uh, since iPhones have had a button. I mean, I we're, we're talking, yeah, no, it's it's your face now. My, you, you still got the you still face. got the it's your face. Oh, sorry. I thought yeah, no. That that's actually correct. Yes, it is. It is my face. It opens my phone. The, the button is your face. <laughs> I don't want to be part of this. I hope I'm gone before all this happens. That's too metaverse to me. I don't want the button to be my face. You know what I want my face to be? I want my face to be my face, and I want the button to be a button. My iPhone is like a 7, so I still have a button, and I will always have a button. You buttonless people can't be trusted. That's all I'll say. I don't trust anybody that doesn't use buttons. I am from the 1890s. I really am. I'm from the 1890s. <laughs> yeah. I get older every second. Well, every minute with you makes me 10 years older. I'm <laughs> I'm going to be I'm like Benjamin Button on this podcast with you. By the by the time we're done, you're going to be a baby and I'm going to be a 200-year-old skeleton. God, my button. I love my buttons. Why do I make me feel bad about loving buttons? Okay. <laughs> Now I have to go process this podcast, and I don't even know if I can do that. But you know what I do to make a podcast? I hit some buttons, and the podcast gets processed. I don't use my face to process the podcast, John. Nobody's asking for that. I'm going to not even have a face. I'm going to I'm gonna wear a ski mask from now. Take that, Apple. You like that? <laughs> Try to get my face now. Thanks to you guys again for making your – College Football Survivor Show, part of your week. Read Shahan at CBSSports.com, where he's writing all kinds of good stuff about college football. For now, he's Shahan. I'm Doug. And that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.